This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Most Tuesdays are just Tuesdays, except at Buffalo Wild Wings, where Tuesdays are Wing Tuesdays. But now even Wing Tuesdays aren't just Wing Tuesdays because Wing Tuesdays are half-price Wing Tuesdays, which means your boring Tuesday that became Wing Tuesday now costs you half as much. In case you're confused, we have half-price Wing Tuesdays. We do it for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Prices and participation vary. See participating locations for details. Void were prohibited. Welcome to the East Coast Offense Podcast, brought to you by FanDuel.com. You can go to FanDuel.com, click on the mic in the upper right-hand corner, use my code RWPOD, sign up now. Special offer for new users, get a free six-month RotoWire subscription with a $25 deposit. You must sign up with my promo code RWPOD. It's more than $60 in value for just $25. Don't forget to use my code RWPOD. FanDuel.com, where every game is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. This is Chris List, the host of the East Coast Offense Podcast, along with Yahoo Sports, Dalton Del Don. Last we talked, your friends and family team was really falling apart. I mean, it was slipping. You and I have a very large wager on it. I even tweeted out, I asked people to send you money to help uh, pay off the debt that you were likely to owe me. Yeah, it's it's not doing much better. It's in 11th place. Um, It's a... down times for me just in general in fantasy baseball. I got off to this really hot start in basically all my leagues, and I kept saying it's just a week, so it's silly to to get excited. But let me tell you another league real quick. Um, is I'm in a $500 buy-in NFBC league, which isn't insignificant, and um, I'm currently in second place, and I've lost D. Gordon, Kyle Schwarber, two-catcher league, Carlos Carrasco, Rossiel Iglesias and Glenn Perkins, and we're just a month into the year. I mean, that's just deflating. If I just wish all my injuries, injuries would happen on a bad team, you know, it's like so the one that I, you know, a lot of money and I'm in second place, just keep losing guys hand over fist, and it's really I got to say I'm dejected. I uh, I have the opposite problem. In the main event, uh, I have no injuries. I mean, I lost like Chris Bassett, I lost Corey Spangenberg. I mean, that's the extent of my injuries. Well, now I just lost Mesoraco, but still. That was a 12-13 turn pick. Uh, and for some reason, I thought, you know, I really should get a catcher. They're really scarce in this 15-team format. I'll pass on Trevor Story and hope that he comes back to me. What the fuck was I thinking? I know that you don't draft a catcher. A catcher always gets hurt. You can't count on them. It was just stupid. I can't believe I did that. But anyway, that team has largely been healthy. My top 11 picks have not missed a day. 
and uh, I'm in like 12th place. So I don't know what's worse. Yeah, that's a good question. What is worse? I, I'd probably rather be in your situation just because <laughs> you have your, your healthy guys for the next five months. I mean, you lose your second round pick and D Gordon for 80 games, Schwarber for the season, Carrasco. Oh, you're like, done. Pretty, you're, you're yeah, done. that looked, that looked pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, Perkins so, is that, I mean, that looked, so easily you're, you're, even though I'm in second and I obviously I, I made some, some great other picks. Um, no, I'd rather be in your situation. So here were my first 10 picks. Tell me where I went wrong. I know one where I went wrong, but I know what I was thinking, but First pick was Kershaw. I'm perfectly happy with that. Second pick was Bautista. He's been a little slow, but no big deal. Third pick was Keuchel. That looks like a mistake now, but hopefully he'll straighten yeah, it out. Yeah, you worried about him? Yeah, I'm a little worried about him. I wanted. I, I wrote down the pitchers as one topic to talk about. There's a lot of pitchers okay. that are uh, problematic now. Fourth, four, five turn. I picked first. So I was at the turn. Kenley Jansen and Puig. I know Puig's been a slow start, but he's running a little. He's hit a couple homers. I'm not worried about Puig, are you? No, I was just actually looking at him. I mean, his OPS is all the way down to like 708, but you said three homers, three steals. I think he should be fine, but he looked great for those first, whatever, five, six yeah. games, and you you and I were high on him, so we were bragging about it, but definitely been a disappointment since. Yeah, but it's just ebbs and flows. Uh, and then at the 6-7 turn, I took Mark Melanson, who's been great, and I took um, Adrian Beltre, who's been okay, but, you know, uh, he's fine, he's healthy. And then the 8-9 turn, I took Prince Fielder, who's been kind of bad. And I took Michael Brantley, who just, you know, came back. So that should help me. And then in round 10, I took Drew Smiley. And round 11, I took Gerardo Parra, who's been great. Huh. So, and then round 12 and 13, I took Mesoraco and Byung-Ho Park. And Park is hitting a lot of home runs. So, you know, I, it's like my team should be good. You must have really boxed the second half of your draft. Uh, yeah, I, then all fourteen, fifteen. I took Marcus Semien, who has like seven or eight home runs, and and Nick Hundley, who's hitting well. And then uh, after that, that's funny. Those are the same exact two catchers in my big prime time. Uh, Mezzarocco and Hundley. Yeah, Hundley was. I mean, it was great, but Mezzarocco was such a mistake. Anyway, yeah, I did make some mistakes. I had some bad picks. You know, I had I took out Al, uh, Pedro Alvarez and Ben Paulson at the turn. I still think Pedro Alvarez is going to hit thirty home runs. But he, the problem with him is that he's been sort of a fringe player for long enough that if he doesn't hit soon, and he did have a home run and a couple hits the other day, but if he doesn't hit soon, he could just be done. It's like being a plus EV sports handicapper, but betting too big for your bankroll. And then even though over time you should have been up, you ran out of money. You, you, you died before you could you know, have the long run bail you out. Um, and, I, and that's the issue with guys like Alvarez is that even if over the long run they're 30 to 40 home run guys in a park like that, if they in the short term they they just slump, they could be you know demoted, released, whatever. Yeah, and I actually own a few shares of him. I mean, how could you not like the setup going from a tough pitcher's park to a park that's, I believe, boosted lefty homers by the most, if not the second most, in all of baseball the last three years. Right. And he could play DH. You know, wouldn't have to worry about right. his terrible defense. Um, obviously, switching leagues, I guess that you know is a real thing sometimes. Um, but man, it's been really brutally ugly so far. But I'm with you. I still think the power could come. But he's been so bad. You're right. He might just be out of a job. I, I, I'm the same exact boat with you and Alvarez. Yeah, he hit 36 home runs in Pittsburgh one year. I mean, he right. has right. major power. This guy. So. We will see. I, I picked him up in a couple of twelve in the twelve teams where he was dropped. I I just think 
he could be Chris Carter. I mean, Chris Carter has 10 home runs and he's hitting great. He could be that for the Orioles. Yes, absolutely. He could be. Okay. So I want to ask you about a bunch of other things, but I am worried about your, your team. And you did lose D Gordon. I lost him in that staff keeper league. Yeah, the D Gordon thing has been frustrating. I had to sit through the the Barry Bonds jokes as well with him, you know, being their hitting coach. Right. right. <laughs> um, but as it's far as insult to injury, seriously, as far as the, hurts. the pitching, yeah, you just really don't want to be just getting destroyed in ERA and whip. My wife actually um, is in my home league, and she went with Derek Holland tonight. I don't know what she was oh. doing throwing a lefty in Toronto. She said it was a last minute decision, oh. and I was out of the house. But I mean, how rare is it to see? Two really rare pitching performances happened tonight. Um, that one where he gave up 11 earned runs. You know, usually you let your, you know, you remove your pitcher before it gets that bad. And I don't know if you've seen this yet. Uh, speaking of all my, all my recent disappointments, the Giants uh, gave up. Yeah, I saw uh, that. 13 runs in an inning. And did you see what Vin Mazzaro did? Uh, yeah, he hit. Well, he hit um, Arenado with the bases loaded. But what else did he do? He gave up. Here, like- here is his line. He got one out. And he gave up nine runs, but all were unearned. Oh, that's good. That's no problem. I know. I know. No one's using Vin Mazzaro. I just found that one of the more bizarre lines I've ever seen. He hit one third of an inning, nine runs, and, and zero were earned. That's just that's a pretty crazy one. <laughs> that is, that, that's probably historic. It's probably the only time that's I ever happened. It, I think so. Speaking of your wife making a last minute decision to leave in Derek Holland, which she can now rue for the rest of her life. I did the same thing this week uh, in AL Labor. I had A.J. Griffin, and I had Henry Owens, who I thought, so annoying, but I thought that the week after these guys get called up from the minors, you have one week, and then the following week you have to either activate or drop them. Henry Owens is a prospect on a good team, and I thought I'd probably I'd rather trade him, but I don't want to just drop him. And I also had A.J. Griffin, who faced at the Blue Jays and at the Tigers this week. And A.J. Griffin's been really good. And so I tried to trade uh, Griffin and Owens all week. I was emailing everybody in labor, people who just had, like, scrubby relievers in their lineups, and nobody wanted to give me even just a reserve or, like, an injured guy. Nobody wanted I even offered uh, A.J. Griffin for Jesus Montero on somebody's bench. That's how, you know, I, I, it was my come-to-Jesus moment. And, and even then, uh, it was rejected. So or, I, or Glenn didn't get back to me, but I don't think they were very interested in it. So I got to figure out what to do, and... The the choice was to – I could just – I guess I could have um, – it turned out that I could have left Owens on the bench, but I also could have dropped uh, some scrubby reliever or something else. Anyway, I ended up dropping Mike Montgomery, who got a win, and then I decided I would stick with Owens and drop A.J. Griffin. But I had originally decided that – I read up about A.J. Griffin, how he throws three different breaking pitches, and they'd been very effective at keeping guys off balance, and people are not making hard contact against him. And the Blue Jays are, have not been hitting like the Blue Jays, and he's right-handed. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to roll with him this week. Screw it. I don't care if none of these guys want to trade for him. I'm going to do it. But for God knows what reason, at the last second, I changed my mind and dropped him. He got nine Ks, a win. It's an AL-only league. And yeah. luckily, I benched Henry Owens, and once I found out that I could bench him um, and put in some scrubby reliever. But I basically lost two wins and nine Ks. And it's not that I, you know, whatever. You lose, you make mistakes. It's It's no big deal. But... It's that I decided to do it, and I think what happened was at the last minute, I just got cold feet, and I think it was because all my league mates rejected my trade offers for basically nothing, and I got influenced. And to me, that's the, the worst basis for a decision 
is what other people think. And you're saying you outright released him, right? Because I released him because in yeah. labor you can't bench a guy unless he gets sent to the minors or DL'd. Yeah, so or I just reserve pick. What's that? Or unless he was a reserve. Unless he was an original reserve, right? So and he's right. not. He's a guy I picked up. So now I'm going to rebid on him. Hopefully, you know he does does okay against Detroit. And you're I'm gonna, probably going to overbid too because you're so frustrated with the situation, right? Because I'm going to try to just get him. Then he'll get bombed, and he does come back right. on my team. I mean, it's not like he doesn't throw 87. You know, it's, it's not like he's safe. Um, but man, I was prepared to do it, and I just did something very cowardly. So I, uh, people who don't play in these only leagues don't probably don't fully grasp it. That, I mean, that that guy. There are very few starting, at least in NL. I can tell you, very few like full on starting pitchers, let alone ones who currently own a 2.32 ERA through 31 innings. I mean, this could be a season-long frustration for you. We're through five starts now. I mean, he's been a cool story, hadn't pitched in the majors since 2013. Um, you're right, his stuff is far from overwhelming, and maybe he's due for a, a shelling. Um, but um, his career whip is 1.11. I mean, right, that's right. over 315 innings. And I mean, he was a decent prospect. You know, he was good in the minors. It, it's not like... This guy's some out-of-nowhere scrub. He was a decent prospect who was good in the minors. He was good when he first pitched for the A's before he got hurt. And he's been good so far. And he pitches in the AL West. This is not yeah. – you know, that Blue Jays start is not the norm for him. He's going to be facing the A's. And the Mariners can actually hit this year. The Astros can hit, but they strike out a lot. Um, and he's going to get the Angels who cannot hit. So he's – Texas he's, hasn't played like the, the past hitter's park as it has recently, right? Not as bad. Uh, yeah, the last couple of years it has not been as – I think it's been basically average. And and also some of the parks like Seattle, Oakland, and, and Anaheim are all pitcher's parks. It, you know, anyway, it was, it was a stupid idea. I mean, whatever. It's A.J. Griffin. But it was, it, it's just – it's not really that, that I made the wrong call. It's that I just was a total coward and coward, got yeah. influenced. The other thing I want to talk about is something I love about DFS, unlike – Unlike this, where you're you're miserable because you messed it up, and the problem when you mess up something like this is in an only league, like that's gonna be that's devastating to lose those strikeouts and that win and everything else. I mean, it's gonna be that very well if my team ends up. It sucks my team so far, but if it ends up being good, like that's a huge difference maker. And the beauty of DFS is it just doesn't matter, right? You you have a crappy lineup, you don't think about it the next day. It's just really nice like that. And tonight, I think I have my worst baseball lineup in DFS that I've ever had. I. Stacked Mets, they were being no hit through like seven against Colin Ray. And uh, then I used DeGrom uh, because I thought <laughs> he's in San Diego. He's, you know, he's going to strike out 11 guys and get a win. Sure. And he, there's something seriously wrong with him. And I, I seriously have like 18 points or something in my, <laughs> it's, it's the, literally the worst DFS lineup I've ever put together. I think I had some Marlins going to against, I can't remember who they're going against, but it, it was bad. Uh, the Marlins uh, were at home against Arizona, but yeah, you'd, you'd rather that though than some uh, you know middling lineup, right? Oh, right? It's fine. Have it all. Have it all happen now. You could. You probably didn't even have to stop. Start watching, or you right. could stop watching. You know, thirty minutes into the game. So sometimes, in a way, that's freeing. You know, it's so so bad, but you won't have you know an eleven earn run performance uh, on your resume for the rest of the season. Yeah, no, I mean it, it's great. It, it, the worst thing that happens in DFS is you start the pitcher that nobody has that gets. 10 strikeouts and a shutout and a win, but the hitters you put in there were terrible. And then you have another lineup with amazing hitters that all went off that nobody really had, but your pitcher sucked. And so you don't do, you know, maybe you win a min cash on one of them, but you, you know, if you'd put them together, you would have won like 10 grand, but you just didn't. You had the wrong hitters with the wrong pitchers. 
Right. And, and as you said, you could play these tournaments. You could lose literally 10 grand in one night or not lose, but not win. So right. that's even more frustrating on that ledger, too. So, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. No, I mean, it's great because I lost so completely that there was nothing. It was like it wasn't like DeGrom let me down. It was like, no, I'm glad I don't have him in any league. And the fact that he can't even beat the, the Padres is great. It's like, OK, perfect, because if he did well, it wouldn't help me in that my hitting was so bad. And then it hurts other people. Now, let me ask you this. You got DeGrom, you got Keuchel, you got Harvey, you got Wainwright, you got Felix. Archer's been shaky, but he seems to be pulling out of it. Carrasco's hurt. Um, who else are we worried about? Scherzer seems to have turned the corner again, and we're not worried about him. Sale seems to be fine, though the velocity's a little bit down. Well, I'm trying to ask you about Sale. Um, I talked about it on the Yahoo podcast this morning with Andy Barron's. What is your take on Sale um, with the whole I'm pitching to contact now? Uh, I see. He seems to be doing that. Did he actually say that? Also, yes. He says he's 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 tired of going just six innings, and his new philosophy is to get fewer strikeouts and go deeper into games. Now, do you think the the velocity's down partly because it's early and partly because he's not throwing as hard to go for the strikeout? He's easing up a little. Yes, he. That's what he claims. That's oh, what he claims. So there's nothing wrong with his arm. He's just going a little easier. I mean, I actually kind of like it. It's not great. I have him in friends and family, by the way. And that's not great because you want strikeouts per inning. Like it's not what you paid. It's not what I paid for in the second round. But you know, it's good to have fewer pitches and to go deeper into games. So probably get more wins per nine innings. And that bullpen is not that good except for the closer. I guess Nate Jones is okay, but Robertson is the is the guy. So if he can go seven eight innings, I got I have no problem with it. I mean, I'm not again. You want to see him strike out 275 guys, but if he strikes out 210. And wins two or three extra games. I mean, it's it's you're giving up a little bit, but it's not that bad. Yeah, I just think it's really interesting for a pitcher of his stature and at this stage of his career to like totally becomes. I mean, not completely different. He's still getting you whatever. Yeah, eight and a half. That's what I mean. He's gonna strike out two hundred guys. I mean, no problem. But it's just he's not gonna strike out two hundred seventy. The the thing that's interesting about it is most guys do that out of necessity. They do it because they don't have the stuff to strike people out. It's very rare that someone would do it by choice. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's what he claims he is doing. Right. Um, interesting. I don't know. You know, I'd like to see him dial up. I don't know what his max velocity was last year, but I'd like to see him hit it a couple times right. in a right. tight that spot. Makes sense. You know, if, if there's like a man on third and one out when you do need a strikeout, um, let's see what he dials it up to. And if he doesn't, then you're okay. This is just him justifying the fact that his arm is, is no longer quite as good. You know, he's like six, six and he, he's, lanky and I, I think the the ball is coming in a little quicker than it than the actual velocity i think it's as if he's throwing 97 because it's just you know it's like jared weaver got away with throwing 86 87 because he was 6 9 or whatever and then now that he's throwing 83 he can't get away with it but there's the sort of effective velocity which is right. different than the actual velocity based on you know where they're releasing it because if you're releasing the ball 60 feet six inches right so everybody's got a little stride so if they're one guy's releasing it at 59 and a half or 59 or whatever it is, and other guys at 58, you know, the, the, there's less distance for the ball to travel, and therefore it's going to get there in a shorter time and effectively be faster than, um, than it would seem. Yeah, totally. And he also still has the wipeout slider, it seems. And um, obviously he's not of the stature of sale, but Chris Young, you know, back in the day, he was – or I still – I guess he's still doing – he was yeah. throwing, you know, 88, but he's so tall – it was reaching the batters, you know, seemingly to them, it was like 95, 96. So that, I mean, that fundamentally makes sense. Yeah. Those, those tall guys have a little bit of an advantage. Um, 
Okay, so the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, League of Leagues. I gave you credit for winning basketball. I actually even gave you credit on Jonah Carey's podcast. I'm sure it has slightly more traffic than this podcast. So you are known as a great man and a successful fantasy basketball manager. I hope you appreciate that. I did. It was on the Nerdist, and um, it was a really good podcast. You got in, in depth of your, your career, and it was, uh, yeah, not only did you compliment me, but Jonah threw a compliment my way, and uh, I appreciate it. It's, 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 it's the one time in your life you've ever done so, and probably the last. Yes, it's the first and the last, unless we win the Hilton contest next fall. We're in that, right? I'm, I'm going to be in Germany, but it doesn't mean we're not going to oh, do I'll, the Hilton. I'll do it again. I'm down to do it yeah. again. I'm not deterred okay. just because we sucked and we're below 500 by the end. I don't give a shit. Me neither. Meaning right. All right. So then the other, so, but, uh, so you did well and I, I did give you credit, but, uh, I've yet to see a lot of credit from you on the trade that I pulled off and, uh, we made a great trade. Uh, I made a bad trade with Lamar Miller the week before, and I'm realizing how bad that was now, but I redeemed myself by trading Eli and we have cousins who I think is, I have him ranked ahead of Eli. I just did my projections for football. I think cousins has some serious upside this year. Um, and, and even if he's just sort of, okay, he'll throw 30 touchdowns and we got Giancarlo Stanton for him and our team needs home runs and he's going to get on base a lot. It's kind of exactly what we need. Yeah. I have cousins ranked ahead of Eli as well. They're at least close enough. So it really made extra sense for us. I would do that even if we didn't have a quarterback and just worry about that position later because it's so deep. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, definitely props to you for that. I don't believe I even shot you an email after I saw no. that. I Fritz, just, Fritz, I, I was surprised you could pull it off, and I, I, that was one that produced some some emails throughout the league that weren't too pleased with the deal. No, the only one I saw was LOL by Jonah. Was there more? Well, I mean, um, Jake Seeley wrote, so basically Eli for Stanton, and I, I, I took that as a, you know, as he didn't view that as even, because then that's who, who Jonah was responding to with LOL. Oh, he did? Okay, I didn't see it. But uh, the thing, the thing about it is, you know, Marcus is done with baseball. He has no nothing to gain in baseball. And so all these guys are going – the football guys, like that's why the Miller trade was so bad for me, is that they're going to fetch so much more than they're worth. You can't evaluate – you know, we traded Syndergaard for Eli to get him uh, in a two-year keeper league, right? And in a way, what would you rather have? You know, Eli's not worth that much. He, you know, he's – as you say, quarterbacks are a diamond dozen. Would you rather have – a year and a half of Syndergaard in a format where everybody's competing in baseball and holding on to their baseball guys or five months of Stanton where nobody cares about baseball and the market for all these players is going through the floor. You see what I'm saying? It's not actually, we traded Syndergaard to get Eli. I mean, it was great. It was amazing that we picked up Syndergaard, used him to rent Eli for a year and then turned it around into Stanton. Uh, we drafted him. We, and we drafted, drafted him. Syndergaard, but we drafted yeah. Syndergaard knowing that we didn't even need starting pitching. Yeah, it was really, really late. And who would have known he's going to become this good this quick? I mean, it did look like a long shot at the time because who knows with these pitching prospects. And the draft was very early. Um, well, what I was thought, thought about what was funny is this league must value Eli Manning so heavily because we he, he's already fetched Noah Syndergaard and, and, now, uh, and now Stan. It's pretty yeah, funny. But this year you cannot look – again, like there's going to be some ghastly baseball trades, especially as we keep going because – that, that you know the the nature of this league is once you're out of it in baseball, your players are absolutely worthless to you, and right. so right. you you just got to just get something of any value for them. And so, what what we got lucky with was that Marcus valued Eli and didn't particularly love Rawls. I mean, Rawls is coming off an ankle injury, but 
it's pretty nice that we could, you know, I'll make a move and we'll deal Rawls if I have to for like a huge package of players. But I would, you know, if we can make it work with Stanton, I'd rather just keep both those running backs and come in. With, they'll probably get hurt, but at least come in with a, a really strong team on paper. Yeah, well, we have, we have Gurley as well to, to possibly shop. But now adding, um, add, we added Puig and the other deal you're talking about, right. and now and now Stanton. I mean, that really really helps our baseball team. So it was well done by you, and let's hope our offense can pick it up with those new players because our strategy is still working as far as dominating ERA, whip, and saves. That yeah. that strategy has continued to work. Yeah, I, I, we really need to win this thing. It's we're we're in good. We're exactly where we need to be right now. We just got to keep going. All right, so. The only other thing I wanted to mention to you, two things before we get to a quick political thing, um, is these pitchers. I, I went through a list of them briefly, and you and I were really big on drafting pitching early. Did we make a mistake? Was this sort of a blip for five years that these pitchers had held up really well? Or is the month of April and early May just kind of a blip and things are going to get back to normal? Where oh, I didn't even mention David Price, how bad he's been. Right. So you've got, you got Price, you've got Keuchel. You've got Felix, you've got Wainwright, you've got um, Harvey, DeGrom. I mean, what <laughs> is, are we wrong? Is pitching, now no lo- is pitching now back to where it was 15 years ago where you couldn't count on anybody? I mean, I'm just going to say a blanket statement just in general. I'm not going to overreact to one month. But guys like Wainwright who have just a crazy bad strikeout-to-walk ratio and um, just assuming these players are, are healthy – I mean, man, I have Matt Harvey in a couple of places, and he's just been such a disappointment. So I'm, for the most part, just going to say let's take a look at this, you know, in another month. I think the, most of these guys should be fine. Uh, specifically, Dallas Keuchel, you were as high on as anyone I saw in the industry. And there was some concern, you know, this soft-tossing finesse lefty if he got away with some smoke and mirrors last year. And um, I don't know. What's your level of concern with him? I mean, the walks are way up. Yeah, I'm a little worried. Uh, you know, his velocity is down, although I saw something that Jeff Zimmerman posted that showed that his April velocity last year was around this also, or maybe even slower. And, you know, Saris interviewed him. I, I didn't actually read it yet. I, I was clicking on the link, and I got distracted by something, but I want to read what he said about it. You know, he did shut out the Tigers. The thing about Keuchel is it wasn't smoke and mirrors. It was pinpoint location. So if you look at the locations from last year, yeah, that's fair. I was selling him short. That's yeah, fair. Th- there was just no – nobody made hard contact. He was, he's was he been – even two years ago where he had sort of a mini breakout before he bumped the strikeout rate and had a real – you know, the Cy Young winning year. He was very high in, on the list of, of weak contact induced. And right. so I, th- I figured that was a skill. He was just a guy who could throw sort of low and outside right on the black of the plate and just make people hit a pitch that's just you can't drive. And if you take it, it's a strike. Well, you compared uh, I, him to Roy Halladay, didn't you? I compared him to Roy Halladay or, or Cliff Lee as another lefty. Yep. Didn't throw hard. They, they maybe threw Halladay through like 91, 92, and, and Cliff Lee maybe 90, 91. But, so they were a little harder than Keuchel. But just a, a guy who could spot and just keep these guys off balance. Keuchel's also a gold glove fielder. He's best pitching fielder in the league, which helps, especially when you induce a lot of weak contact so the ball comes to you a lot. So, I, you know, I, I'm not panicked, but – in the main event, I, I drafted Kershaw on him, and then I drafted Drew Smiley. And Drew Smiley has played you know, the role of my 2-3 turn pick, and Keuchel's played the role of my 10th-round pick, basically. I just try to think of it like that. I think they'll mostly be fine. I mean, we could probably pick out a handful of offensive players who are off to very disappointing starts, right? Well, they are, but you know, Edward, Edward Encarnacion was, and he just hit he had six RBIs today with a home run and a double. 
And guys like that are just going to be fine. The one that people have been picking on that I would also be nervous about if I owned him, but thankfully I, I don't, is Carlos Gomez because he, yeah. he, he stole bases and he hit 24 homers and he was able to hit for average a couple of years, but he struck out. He wasn't a big walker. He was kind of a late bloomer. And I don't know, man. Sometimes those guys who bloom late fade, fade early. They have like a small window where there's a small margin for error with their skill set, and only at the peak is it really worth anything. Well, he was really bad over the second half last year, so his sample of being a bum is like up to like 350 at-bats. I think at this point there is cause for concern. But aren't you kind of just begging the question with that? Just, oh, all those offensive guys will be fine, but I'm worried about these pitchers. Like, well, I can't guarantee that, that Edwin Encarnacion is going to be back to his normal self. You know what I mean? Isn't, isn't that actually begging the question? Um, the question being um... – the hitters will Should we be more hurt, worried about hit, hitters or pitchers? And I'm saying I'm not worried about these hitters. Yeah, I mean, in yeah, that case. Like assuming that they're all, I mean, you're just making a pretty big assumption. Uh, to, I, to, I am, but I, it's it's assumption based on the fact that hitters don't fluctuate in skill set. Um, they do actually fluctuate in skill set, but that it's like they can't lose velocity in that way. You know, they can't just not have an arm that's just powerful right, they had last right, year right. You know, their, their skills go in a way their bat speed can slow they don't run quite as well but but pretty much you know guy doesn't lose power at all you know if, if you're 36 and you're jose batista as long as you're healthy you're still gonna hit for power ryan howard is is terrible he can't get on base he strikes out a ton he hits 200 or 190 but he's not gonna lose power when he makes contact it's weird i we talked about it i love i loved pitchers as a group to draft early because I think there's a lot of it now, and, and you need to have a lot of it to compete. But I don't really trust almost any individual pitcher except Kershaw, which is why I thought Kershaw was the no-brainer number one pick, because you could trust this guy so much, and it's such an important commodity that he provides. Yeah, no, I understand. And sometimes when it goes, it just goes completely for these pitchers. Right. But um, what, what was your overall conclusion about, about this handful of people? Are you taking them on a case-by-case basis? Yeah, it's, or? it's obviously case-by-case. Some of them – I mean, look, I will say this is 100% certain. Among Harvey, DeGrom, Price, Wainwright, Felix, who's really sketchy right now, and Keuchel, those six. Is it, am I missing anybody that's really kind of in trouble? Um, you might be, but that, those, that's a, the main. Okay. The, that's the main. So those six, I promise you that at least one of them is toast. Not, you know, maybe not like out for the year, but like he's going to have a terrible year. And at least one of them is going to be great the rest of the way. Right. You know, that's what I could say. I don't know how – I don't know if it's going to be three and three, four and two, in which direction. I don't know. But – or some of them will be okay, but never themselves. At least one is going to be toast, and at least one is going to be great. And I don't necessarily know who – I can't really tell you who they are. Felix is throwing like 89 miles per hour and walking guys, and it just doesn't have the same uh, ability to strike guys out anymore. Yeah, no, I think it's fair to say we know he's not the same pitcher he once was. I mean, that, that's because that dates back to last year and the velocity is. I mean, that's not, what happens, it's, right? It's like Cliff Lee has a weird year, you know, weird start, and then he gets hurt and he's done. Halliday slows down, he's done. Verlander has a weird 2013, terrible in t- 2014, bounces back last year with not quite the same stuff, and this year he's a mess. You know, it's, the, once these guys lose it, it's. You don't get back to what you were. It's very rare. Even Pedro Martinez, Johan Santana, they had some good years after they lost it. They came back and were okay, pretty good for a while. But they were never what they were at their peak. 
to be fair, Felix was not drafted as 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 he once was, and he does currently own a two point two one ERA. Well, I mean, it's, it's not like he's, it's, it, there's a lot of unearned runs in there. Right. Okay. No, 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 I know. A lot Bip of it is, was junk, I, though. I mean, Jeff was saying there were a lot of bloops and errors and dink and dunk singles. It wasn't like they were crushing him, but he's also not recording a lot of strikeouts. No, I know. And the whip is higher than usual. I'm not. I'm just saying. And the walks are up. I'm just saying. I'm not ready to totally write his obituary. No, right. I'm, I'm. As I said. I, of that group, at least one, maybe four, but at least one is going to be completely fine the rest of the way. And at least one, you can write their obituary. And then the other four could go either way. But, you know, we can take it on a case-by-case basis and break it down. But th- the truth is nobody knows. Fair point. I agree. All right. Talk so, some politics. Okay. Talk some politics. Yeah, real quick. So Bernie won Indiana on my birthday, which was was nice uh, present. And... Nobody really reported it or made anything of it. It was just uh, the math, the math. Here's the math. And I don't know why everybody's saying the math is so daunting. Bernie needs 66% of the vote to pass Clinton and pledge delegates. Is it, is it likely? No, it's very unlikely. But he could pass her. He needs about two-thirds of the rest of the votes. Clinton needs something like 75 or 80% of the votes to clinch on pledge delegates. That is way less likely than Bernie catching her. Right. So neither are going to get the magic number, right? Oh, right. Well, Bernie can't get the magic number. That's over, right? But her chance to get the magic number is far, far less, basically impossible, than him passing her. Okay? Right. So, okay. So that's just the math. That's the mathematical facts. And this is before New York where there's a lawsuit where they're going to try to, like, reinstate some of these voters and a bunch of other stuff that, you know, Arizona's still figuring that out. I mean, there, there may be a couple of things. He, he won some delegates in Colorado when they fixed some stuff that was wrong also. Basically, that's the situation. So the Clinton supporters are like, it's over. Just move on. Let's pick our vice president. Let's get behind her. But it's unlikely he passes her, but it's impossible that she wins without superdelegates. And so, so, what does that mean? so what does that mean? So what that means is they can go to the convention with both of them arguing who should be the nominee, okay? I mean, they, neither one just locked it up. They need the superdelegates who don't vote until July or whatever. And so they make their case. And Clinton's case will be like, I have more votes. I have more delegates, most likely. He could, again, he could catch her, but it's very unlikely. I have more delegates. Let's say she has 150 more delegates, okay? 100 more delegates, whatever. I have more of the popular vote. I'm the nominee. Well, you know, the whole reason, and this is uh, Cenk Uger, who uh, is on TYT, the Young Turks, he said this. He said the whole reason that you have the superdelegates is exactly for a situation like this where one candidate is under investigation. And you don't want to run a candidate who gets – if she gets indicted, like that's something where – that's why the superdelegates said, oh, no, 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 no. You won the vote, but now you got indicted. You can't run. We need to get it, give it to somebody who actually could – you know, is not under indictment. That's too much baggage. So there's that. But even without that, let's just say in California he wins 60-40, which is not that far-fetched. And he wins, you know, a lot of the other states. Oregon, he's going to win like 70-30. You know, he wins a lot of these states pretty big. And so at the end, she's still up like 60 pledged delegates. He's probably not going to catch her, but he narrows it. And she's still going to be up in the popular vote, but he narrows it. But he's won like 13 in the last 17 or whatever it is. And let's say the national polling, which they're about even now, he jumps ahead three or four points. And then the polls, you know, her against Trump and him against Trump. She's like neck and neck with Trump. No one knows he's going to win. And he's 10 points ahead. You're a super delegate. You realize 
All the people under 45 love him. It's the future of your party. It's people who are going to come out to vote who wouldn't have otherwise voted. It's people who can vote down the ballot, you know, for guys in state elections and Senate elections and congressional elections. He's won all these states. He's got the momentum. He trails her by a little bit, not that much. She's got this, this investigation hanging over her, which may not be resolved in time. I don't know, man. If I'm a superdelegate, I'm thinking if, if we really want to stop Trump from winning, I may flip. And I think that that's such a legitimate and strong case, if he does really strong at the end, that you got to be all in. You know, you live in California, you live in one of these states, you got to be all in for that possibility. What's the precedence of that happening? Any precedent for it? Well, the superdelegates haven't, I don't even think, been used. I mean, the Obama-Clinton one was the first time where they were close. And then it's funny. Everyone's like, well, she dropped out and got behind Obama and he needs to do that. No, she was in huge debt. I think she loaned her campaign money and was in like $30 million debt. And in exchange for it, uh, Obama agreed to pay off her debt. That's what happened to her. She was like personally in deep debt. It's like she was out of money and she just kept going. And then she just couldn't afford it. Yeah, that's a little different than what's happening now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's way different. And so anyway, I, I, I still think he's going to be president. I, you know, I, and I think that the, the other weird thing – let me ask you this. Are you wor- scared of Trump being president? Like how scared – or how scared are you of Trump being president? I mean I, I know what you're going to say, is it, but I don't know what, what he can get done. But Forget about me. Just how scared are you of Trump? I mean is that like a serious fear that Trump would be president? It's it's concerning. I mean, the guy, guy does seem a little bit out there. I mean, it is like so bizarre. If you look at like the odds that were six months ago, right, and what's happened since, like that that is I don't know. He he's seemingly can get away with saying any or doing anything. I mean, it's kind of is crazy to me. Yes, I I would say I'm not staying up at night because I'm not into politics like you. But but yeah, I would yeah I would say that would be crazy for our country to have Donald Trump as president. Okay, because I, I don't disagree with that. Um, but first of all, it's funny how these polls, you know, the predictions were so wrong, and it's because like these guys, these Nate Silvers and this guy Nate Cohn uh, in the New York Times, these, these these wonks, they they're so out of touch with how enraged everybody is at these douchebag politicians that we have. They have no idea. They're like, oh, Trump will never be president. They just dismissed it out of hand because they don't. They're not mad about the situation. They don't care. They don't understand why people are so pissed. It's very weird. They're so cut off. But it was, wasn't just opinions, right? Like, I mean, Nate used the same models that he used four years ago when he was so good, right? No, Trump was dominating the polling, and he was denying that it was going to stick. Oh, that's true. Okay, I thought he was. I just thought they broke. No, he, he he let it, he became a pundit. You know, he got he got caught up. Right. Uh, and, okay. All and, right. and not only that, but they had Hillary is ninety percent likely to win Indiana. I don't, I don't think they believe their models. I don't, if you said, okay, give me five to one, Bernie against Hillary in, in Indiana, he wouldn't do that. Right, right. now they've got him 95, Hillary 95% in California. That's ah, nine, that does seem high. That's, <laughs> nine, that's 19 to one. I'll take 10 to one. I'll, I'll cut it in half for you. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll give my 500 against your 5,000. Are you going to do that? No, of course he's not going to do that. He would never do that. He doesn't even believe his models, I bet. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. Nobody thinks it's 10 to 1 that, she, that he wins California. Why, his model is messed up. It's based on a different paradigm. It's based on the Obama-Hillary, both kind of establishment candidates. Obama's an outsider and you know, first African-American president. That was a big thing. She would have been the first female presidential candidate you know, from a major party. And so that was that race. But this race is totally different. It's insider versus outsider. 
It's politics as usual versus populism. It, it's just – it doesn't fit his models. So <clears throat> I, I don't know. I, I, I mean maybe he does believe his models. I don't know. But it just seems like there's no way he would give me give someone 10 to 1 on California. That would just be insane. Well, let alone 19 to 1. Right. But I'm saying I'm, you know, 10 to 1 would be a gift, right? You have to take 10 to 1. I would think so, yeah. If, if you think it's 19 to 1, your 10 to 1 is like, a, of course. So what, what about you and a fear if, if Trump wins? Okay, so what I was going to say is, yeah, I'm nervous because he doesn't – he's kind of fast and loose with the facts, whatever. I don't know what the hell he would actually do. I don't believe anything. He lies all the time. But, I mean, everyone was fine with Dick Cheney and George Bush the second time even. There wasn't all these pundits being, <clears throat> this is the end of civilization if he wins. The media wasn't up in arms like, we just cannot let them win. I mean, the media is saying things. The mainstream media is like, we cannot let Trump win. And all these Republicans are saying that. It's so, clear that the media definitely hates him. I but, mean, that's obvious. but they love him because it pays their bills. So it's this weird thing. <clears throat> they give him all this attention, then they, then they worry about him. But I, I, just, I just find it hard to believe that Trump is an existential threat. But Cheney, no, that's cool. Sarah Palin is the vice president. No, we're not going to, like, destroy McCain and just run him out of the race because he's picked Palin. No, he's respectable. He's a senator now. People take McCain seriously after that. But somehow this is beyond the pale. I, I don't, I'm struggling to understand what's so uniquely scary about him versus all these other monsters that invaded countries that you know, caused the death of hundreds of thousands of people, that fomented more terrorism because you know, we're bombing all these people that didn't even start with us. And then you know, obviously you've killed people's families. They're going to go and do crazy shit. So well, I, I just because he makes these, these crazy tweets. I mean it's just, it's just more in your face is, is, would be the, right, the answer, right? But, like, Hillary Clinton voted for a war that killed maybe a million innocent people and maimed all these U.S. soldiers and cost us trillions of dollars, but he writes some very offensive tweets. I mean, it's so weird that people are worried about him. He said some bad shit. I'm not going to deny it, but it's like, why is saying bad shit so much scarier than actually doing bad shit? I I hear you. That makes sense. I don't understand. I just – I honestly don't understand – I mean, he may be unqualified. He may not know what the hell he's doing, but he's going to have all these professionals around who are going to do all the, you know, he's going to have like people who have experience doing stuff. I mean, it's not like he's just going to be there by himself. Right. And he's not just, yeah. I mean, they're not going to let him get away with anything outrageous. I wouldn't think. All right. That's all I got, Liz. You got anything? No, no, no. I got to go. We probably went longer than I expected. All right, man. Thanks for doing it. All right. Thanks, Liz. Talk to you next week. This podcast is brought to you by FanDuel.com. You can click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner and use my code RWPOD and sign up now. Special offer for new users. Get a free six-month RotoWire subscription with a $25 deposit. You must sign up with my promo code RWPOD. That's more than $60 in value for just $25. Don't forget to use my code RWPOD. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today.